Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running, international and yet understudied scene. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Lingua Brutalica, hosted by myself, Jess Benny-Smith, along with my co-host, Wes Robertson. On this podcast, uh, we interview extreme metal musicians about their lyrical choices to answer questions like, what is it that makes lyrics appear recognisably metal and brutal, and what role does language play in this process? Uh, On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with Jared Bridgman, the vocalist and, of course, lyricist uh, of Melbourne-based band Earthrot. So how are you doing, Jared? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Yay. Uh, so just to start us off, uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with Earthrot, would you mind just describing Earthrot's music? Earthrot uh, is, I'd say, best described as a halfway point between early 90s Scandinavian black metal and death metal. They're kind of the mm-hmm. two biggest elements that, we'll, that we take and kind of mesh together in our own way. So uh, yeah, mostly, mostly black metal with a hint of death metal, I think. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was listening through your um, latest album and I found it kind of interesting and difficult to kind of cleanly classify into one subgenre. So um, yeah, it's something that we can definitely get into. Um, so what elements would you say do you draw from black metal and death metal that, you know, kind of allows for this overlap of the genres to happen? I think for the majority where um, it, it's the roots of what we grew up learning to play and listening to in the kind of the late nineties, early two thousands that really sparked the interest in, in heavy metal and the immediate influences in musical style was pretty 50, 50. I was not one. And I speak for the other members of the band as well to really go down one particular path within the kind of broader heavy metal umbrella. Uh, and these were the two bits that maybe kind of stood the tallest when it came to, just musical tone, feel, the ideas, the things that I really enjoyed about heavy metal were most prominent in black metal and death metal. So as far as like individual aspects between the two subgenres, there's not one or the other that I'd say that we uh, lean into more. It's just that is the best and most accurate descriptor that we can use for what we do. It's, it's, it, there's not a particularly um, like narrow field that we can, that we can drop into, but uh there's, there's really equal parts of, of both that have kind of... Mm, that's really interesting. ...driven what we've come to. It sounds like, uh, so you were listening to both black and death metal quite early on. Were those the first styles of metal that uh, you found interesting or did you start somewhere else? Definitely for me, I think the first subgenres of metal that I really heard and thought, wow, this is different, would have been, um, would have been black metal, kind of mid-90s black metal, like Dimmu Borgia and, and even Cradle of Filth as well. Um, 
which is usually, I think most people will go down the roots of the things that you hear a bit of on the radio. Like you hear a bit of Metallica here and there, you hear like, you know, Black Sabbath and things like that. And people go, wow, that's different. That's heavy metal. But for some reason, maybe because they were there from, I was born in 1990 when all of this was already on the radio and it was, it was present. Um, it was, it didn't really stand out to me as something out of the ordinary. Whereas once we reached uh, black metal and kind of more underground subgenres, that was the one that really stood out as this is something that's different. When you first kind of got that attention to it, when you were first saying, you know, uh, be it Dimmu Borgir or Cradle of Filth or any other band, uh, was there a specific time or album or song that you remember when the lyrics first stuck out to you as something special or like, oh, okay, uh, the lyrics of metal have this form or have this kind of style that differentiates them from uh, what I've heard before? I think, I think it probably would have uh, been first hearing Cradle of Filth because there was already a reputation that Danny Filth had as this supreme lyricist. If you said in early 2000s, oh, I've just listened to this new Cradle of Filth record, the first thing people would say is Danny writes great lyrics before any other comment on the band or the music was Danny writes great lyrics. And you just kind of took it as fact and went, oh, okay, that's, that's what the standard is. That's what's considered good. Uh, and then... I think the, the first album that I really listened to and thought, wow, this is not something I can play in front of family members mm-hmm. um, would have been Nymphetamine and uh, of course, Gilded Cunt, if we need to be sense <laughs> <laughs> of that. Uh, but that was the first thing that I thought, oh, wow. Like I've heard that word in Australia and I know Americans <laughs> don't like it too much, but putting that in a song is like a whole other level of, uh, of, I guess like pushing the envelope of what's not just what's acceptable, but what is what's reasonable. Mm. I think mm. there's a, it's it's a word that you can go your entire life without really needing to ever say. Mm. Uh, and he's put it in front and center in a lyric and gone, "Here you go. This is this is the next step that we're taking." You'd heard swearing, of course, in songs, right? Was it of just course. the level of of I guess the vulgarity that was? Kind yeah, of... I think a, a lot of the swearing in, in songs and in music and not even just in metal is kind of in, in passing or for emphasis, mm-hmm. like dropping F-bombs to kind of draw attention to something or elevate it to a level of intensity, but using, using dropping a C-bomb in uh, like a chorus lyric was really, really something that was, that was not done at the time. And um, still, even, even to this day, I mean, I can't really think of too many other songs that have utilised that and and gotten away with it mm. Mm. so is it specifically like the vulgarity and the taboo that's attracted you at least initially to cradle phil oh, i think it was the uh it, on, with regards to lyrics of course i think it was mm. the fact that it was it was stories he was telling stories and whether they were ideas of his own or they were like heavily lovecraftian influence he was telling stories and that was something that was the most interesting. But the fact that he would do that and then also use, you know, vulgar and obscene language and kind of paint a, paint a disgusting picture with his words was like just kind of a hook that, that sunk it. Mm. Do you feel uh, any differently about, say, Cradle Phil's lyrics or the lyrics and music kind of a metal that you were engaging with early on uh, now compared to when you first uh, encountered them? Definitely, definitely. I think uh, hearing hearing more like more obscene lyrics when I was younger definitely had uh, shock value, but also like a little bit of rebellion value as a teenager. Um, like being able to play music with these words that were just the words and concepts that were just 
unwelcome anywhere else and being able to crank that up and enjoy them i'm sure i got some sort of like rebellious value out of that whereas if at 30 years of age i would hear something the same i'm not sure i would get any level of enjoyment out of it it, it would just kind of pass over like if they weren't saying something valuable with the shock or with mm. the obscene language i definitely wouldn't latch onto it like i identified with as a teenager so are there bands that you say, I mean, you don't, you don't have to name names. You don't have to make enemies here today, but <laughs> are there bands that you say that you've uh, continued to listen to because you found something kind of behind the shock and bands that you've kind of given up on because you found them to kind of just be shock? I think the, the, the bands with the more kind of shocking lyrics that I still listen to, I still listen to because their music's evolved, not mm. necessarily because their lyrics have evolved. Like for example, Dying Fetus, another band name that I honestly probably would have started listening to purely because it was just hilarious that someone would call their band that. Mm -hmm. uh, and lyrically, some of the most obscene things ever. Although their lyrics are probably still as obscene as they were back then, maybe not song titles, the actual musicianship has evolved. Mm -hmm. And so, although I think the, the value that I get out of, out of the obscene lyrics is definitely kind of dwindling as I get older, they've still found ways to kind of capture their audience and keep doing the thing that made them dying fetus. Interesting. I mean, there's been some uh, arguments in academic research on metal that uh, the obscenity is questionable as defining as obscenity, because while it is, if I should, like, I, I had a similar experience to you, uh, but I'm just a slight bit older. So it wasn't amphetamine, but it was Midian. That was the first album where I was like, oh man, my mom cannot, my, my, my parents cannot look at the, the lyrics of this album or I'm going to get in so much trouble. It, it would be obscene to them. But, and I guess when I first saw it, it was obscene to me and that was kind of like the, the ooh. But if I read it now as someone that is, is familiar with metal, it, it doesn't come off as obscene and I don't think, except in the abstract. And I imagine Danny Filth isn't like offended by his own lyrics. So, I mean, do, do you have anything to think about like, do you feel that there's a desire of shocking an audience who might not even listen to the music at all? Or is it just the use of something that's out, like the outside recognition of the obscenity as part of it, but like the group itself doesn't even treat it as obscene, but treats it as something, some other kind of value? I, there's definitely groups that will try and just like increase the level of obscenity that they can achieve for the value of some there's always going to be parts of the metal community that want the most obscene mm -hmm. that really do. And I think um, whether it's obscene or not to the like non-metal community, to mm -hmm. just general populace, is kind of incidental. I'm sure they'd enjoy mm -hmm. it, but I don't think it's necessarily a part of the intent in the product. Mm -hmm. I think really it's for, for themselves and for the fans. And to, metal has always been challenging and lyrically has always had room to challenge. And often uh, I think maybe the, 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 I guess the type of obscenity that bands go for always has, always has room to evolve and probably always will within heavy metal. It's just part of the package, I think, in certain subgenres. I really don't think that uh, the external opinion on the obscenity is a driving factor, but I think there'd definitely be like a, a personal bonus for the bands to find out that what they are writing is still being seen as totally, like totally irresponsible to, to, sing about um by the broader population right and Even, i suppose you can oh, see sorry. that in that like they don't like haven't really tried to avoid that effect of course not yeah, yeah yeah it's um i think a thing as well is that the underground metal still draws value from the fact that it it is underground and it's only a, a small select group of the population worldwide that really genuinely love it and 
there's value in that to the community and there's value in that to bands. But if everyone were to enjoy it, it wouldn't be shocking in any way. Mm. So I think there's, mm. yeah, I think, I think like if it, if it wasn't so shocking to the broader population in some way, this is really specific, like it's just sub, sub, sub genres, like black metal, it's not really as much of a thing as, as it is in like death metal and slam and deathcore and things where they really focus in on the, on the more grotesque. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you would agree then with like the idea that um, while something like Gilded Cunt, to go back to that song, is is in theory quite offensive, it might not actually be directed with the intent of like anyone who would be offended by that actually listening to it? I, I think so. I think so. I think there's it's probably more of a driver for the the like self-satisfaction of the metal fans to be able to sing that and have it <laughs> in context and be able to, you know, scream that at a festival with 40,000 people in Europe um, where you really cannot do that socially anywhere else. Mm. Mm. Well, this, this kind of ties into what we were talking uh, to Hudson from Harlot about last week regarding um, his views on the desire for absolute freedom um, and exploration of taboo within metal. Um, you know, I wonder if this has something to do with, you know, another point that we were making regarding um, kind of the desire for almost um, an effect akin to sharing like an in-joke within the entire metal scene. So understanding what... Um, the obscenity means within this small group and also appreciating the fact that, you know, that understanding isn't necessarily communicable or accessible to people outside of it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, I think the focus of, of some bands, I think really specifically this uh, look at obscene and, and language that really pushes uh, like discomfort is in my experience, much more within the realm of death metal than any other subgenre mm. of metal. Uh, like thrash metal, often more political. Um, black metal, maybe more about religion, but less just uh, grotesque. Uh, and death metal, again, would kind of focus on that aspect and, and push that so much. So, I mean, even though the use of, of language that Danny Filth would use would be pretty obscene, the actual content is not quite as grotesque as, as something mm. like Venus or, or kind of. Yeah. Well, this and- is kind of. Oh, sorry. Go sorry. Go ahead, Jess. No, go, go ahead. Well, this is kind of, you're talking about things that you've appreciated and enjoyed in, in metal lyrics brings us to a question that we like to ask, which is, are there metal songs that you've listened to that you felt have been ruined by lyrics that just are not metal or do not produce a sense of, I guess, metalness? Uh, I mean, power metal is an entire genre <laughs> of that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there are, um, it's, it, it's a tough one because like lyrics about, battles and and dragons and wizards and things like that don't feel i mean they are typically metal but they don't elicit the same responses from me personally like i hear that and i go well look i i I love the love a bit of lord of the rings like anyone else but when you put it in the context of fighting dragons and beasts and things the delivery doesn't quite give me the like the the powerful and like the aggressive vibes that that death metal and, and black metal and other subgenres can uh as far as like really specifically like poor lyrics within the genres that i do enjoy Mm. there's definitely some of that as well um and i find that a lot of that would be the bands that are like really deliberately pushing obscenity for the sake of pushing obscenity like without Mm. much actual value to say it's just what's the stupidest thing that we could possibly say and put that down and bands like infant annihilator do mm. a great job of that and i have a ton of friends that will enjoy that but for me personally i hear it and i just go ah that's that's for you that's for you i'm gonna move along to something else 
Well, uh, that's interesting because uh, Hudson, again, in the last episode mentioned um, Cannibal Cor- uh, Corpse is a band that he thinks takes that sort of grotesque, uh, potentially interpreted as infantile uh, shock value, but elevates it to an art in the level of description and detail. Uh, do you think it's possible to draw a line between when something becomes like offensive, but metal and, and artistic versus just just offensive and just puerile? I think um, like the caliber and the quality of the words you use and how they fit in with the music and, and lyrically and how you would map an idea to its delivery makes quite a big difference. Like if you are delivering something, something grotesque in the same way that we've heard before, mm-hmm. with the same words that we've heard before on the same content that we've heard before, it'll definitely lose some value. And then I feel like it just won't have, it won't have the impact and it probably won't have the uh, it won't be quite as accepted in metal. Whereas bands like Cannibal Corpse, I guess when you've been doing this for as long as they have, you find new ways to speak about that kind of, of content. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's like, if it's just something that will, that will happen with age or if you, you get tired of using similar words or if you just, it's part of the challenge of, of writing that they will move and, and try and find more interesting ways to kind of develop the same content while still being true to what Cannibal Corpse is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like if, a, if a, a young band doing the exact same thing as Cannibal Corpse in 1980 would come out and have similar lyrics with a similar style, I think they'd probably be chopped apart more based on what they're doing than the actual like content, like specifically with lyrics. Mm-hmm. So novelty is really, uh, not, not retreading the wheel is really key then. I think it definitely is. And I think when you're a band that invented or really um, pioneered a style either lyrically or musically or whatever from, you know, the eighties and the nineties, you kind of have the right to keep doing that and keep pushing that <laughs> you need to come back and do the same thing again with similar words. That's, that's kind of okay. I think you earned that. Like if Black Sabbath wrote a killer riff that was exactly the same as their very first album, you'd be stoked because they invented that and that's <laughs> fine. You do that. That is you. you, you came up with that. No one can ever have a problem with that. Then again, if someone's trying to do uh, like, early obscene dying fetus like kill your mother rape your dog if someone else wrote a, a song title like that you'd be mm-hmm. like okay yep dying fetus have done that is there a point to this or are you just you just going with obscenity for obscenity's sake so unless it was like truly something like outrageous and really incredibly well put together i think it'd be brushed aside pretty quickly mm. it's an interesting kind of similarity um that exists in academia it's like you need to fill a, an existing gap in um you know the musical landscape if you like (laughs) you know find something that hasn't been done before and innovate yeah absolutely and obviously build upon things that other people have done like Mm. drawing kind of find the gap in maybe something that they haven't said and present that with something new but if you're sending back the exact same exact same ideas that someone else did uh, you know 20 years ago with nothing new to add it's going to be yeah it's going to be eaten up and spat back out pretty quick Mm. So if we can kind of like extrapolate, I suppose, from this discussion of, you know, what makes metal lyrics, you know, better or worse than others, what would you say then, I suppose, makes lyrics like recognisably metal or conversely not metal? Recognisably metal. I mean, there's, from from my experience, from a lot of what I listen to, it's it's almost theatrical. It's like, it's, it's dark in tone, but very much drawn from, uh, from like fictional influence without being, without being, you know, dragon-like and, and power metal. Um, the whole point is to convey a sense of 
of discomfort in one way or another. As far as what makes things metal, it's it's so hard because I really think that subgenres of metal really have, if you were to like broadly describe what each subgenre of metal does, they're all quite different. Um, mm. I think because it's just such a diverse genre, it's really hard to nail down and go, well, this is what would make metal lyrics metal. I can say what would make death metal lyrics death metal, or what mm-hmm. might. I mean, make that'd be interesting as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> death metal, like broadly, is is typically more about there's there's more gore. And there's more focus on things like uh, like serial killers and murderers. And there's uh, almost a fascination on past serial killers, but also hypothesizing future ones. <laughs> I think it's, it's what bands try and do. It's, if they were to, it, it's almost as if they were writing like a novel or an episode of CSI and going, well, what if someone did this outrageous thing that maybe we could put on an episode of the Hannibal TV series and then put that into a song? And that would be very death metal. But black metal, not so much a focus on the gory things. It's more the the content of of like people and the kind of futility of of life and and a whole lot of religion and as as well. And I think they're probably the two broader aspects of the things that we do. For example, there would be the two bigger like subject matters for lyrics between the two subgenres that we try and merge together. Mm. Kind of leaning on either one in particular. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I- was wondering like you know how you kind of balance out like these seemingly I suppose not necessarily oppositional but they are certainly very contrasting um I suppose Mm. lyrical styles Mm, definitely yeah we we definitely don't try and I think there's one thing if we write a song that has more of a black metal feel you know like we're taking musical roots from more early 90s black metal we're not going to write that about like you know straight up here is a song about the glory of satan we're not going to do that because again that's a thing that's been done and we're not trying to rewrite or, you know, or, or pay homage to, you know, bands from, from the 90s. We're trying to do our own thing with our own idea. But I think the way that we avoid that is by writing uh, kind of like, an, like a, a concept album, like a full piece that will go across the 10 or 11 songs that goes on the album. And it helps us avoid writing like micro stories about mm. things that have been done before. Without something, mm. without something broader to speak about, I think it's really easy to fall into those traps of here's a song about Satan and here's a song about mm. a serial, here's a song about the Jack the Ripper or something. Um, and I think like, particularly just for myself as part of the way that I would go about writing, um, by giving myself a big broader target, it helps me to kind of focus away from the things that have been done while still not deviating too much from what, what sounds like, what the song sounds like in my head before we put lyrics to it. Is yeah. this something you've always tried to do or like when did you start writing metal lyrics and do you see the way that you approach this task as something that has changed uh, over time compared to like your first attempt at lyrics to what you do now when you uh, work on an album or, or a song? I think first attempts at lyrics uh, when I was, you know, like 14, 15 playing in a band, it would have been heavily plagiarized i guarantee i didn't have much creativity at the time it would have been like oh here's an idea that i kind of heard and you you really did rehash it into something you can use um but as i get older and kind of you read more and watch more and see more of the world kind of come up with your own your own idea or for example like one of our albums was a recurring dream that i had for like two and a half straight months and so i couldn't not write about that i had to put that down somehow and that was our first album follow the black smoke so it, it almost it was almost as if it wrote itself. I just put into words what I was seeing every night. Um, but I think definitely as things 
like as we age and as we grow, I'm trying to come up with more of a point of an album before, before I sit down and decide to write it. So I mean, we can, I could write an album about almost anything under the umbrella of heavy metal, as long as it's, it's dark and, and has the same tone that the music of the album has pretty much anything is acceptable with this band, I guess, because we're not pigeonholing ourselves into mm. either side of black metal or, or death metal. And in doing that, I've got a bit of freedom that I can write whatever I want, but also I feel like that leaves a, like a, maybe a bit of an, a bit of a need or at least a desire for myself to write something a little bit more cohesive and meaningful for a broader piece. What do you mean by meaningful? I think, I think this is something that maybe the more shows we play, the more I realize that I don't, get a ton of value out of like complete pure fiction on stage because you need to put full energy and emotion into the actual performance every day. And if the song is utterly meaningless, it's really easy for that to drop and you can lose that energy and it just becomes flat on stage. Uh, and for a band that's not like, we're not overly political, like a band like Body Count, I guarantee Ice-T is pissed off all day, every day on stage because he's saying <laughs> something that is incredibly close to home and really meaningful. And uh, if we're writing, you know, majority fiction for our releases, one day, if the song doesn't really mean anything, get harder and harder to do and to, you know, to sing on stage every day. Mm -hmm. and so I think uh, like personal meaning is probably the, the first thing, but I think as I, as I age, what's meaningful to me personally will also kind of, will also grow a bit. So I haven't, uh, it's not like I've got a, a fixed idea on what that means to me yet. I just know that it's uh, something that I need to create. We've heard a lot of uh, metal musicians actually mention kind of this desire to produce socially meaningful lyrics, but not being uh, sure how. Uh, even when I was, I've interviewed some bands in Japan and they made a, a comment that they wanted to do that, but they weren't kind of sure how to do it in a, in a metal way. Is this something that you've, struggled with or noticed other metal musicians struggling with like a desire to say something but not sure how to do it while still being metal is that is that a like a, a difficult balance i think it's a thing that yeah some subgenres um can excel at much better than others um but the the topic of of like meaningful like political discussion often is something that's that's reused quite a lot like there was a, a period of time maybe three or four years ago where the prevailing like modern lyrical theme that people were writing about was like anti-capitalism being a wage slave was just this huge thing and everyone wrote about it uh and although none of us you know none of us are fond of the idea of being wage slaves there's only so many albums you can listen to that are about that before you go okay this is done like i mm. even though even though it might be a belief that i hold really close to myself i can't write about that because it's it's right there like it's it's everywhere already mm -hmm. And metal definitely struggles with that. Um, definitely struggles with that because there are, I mean, there are trends musically, but lyrically there's definitely themes that go in and out of, of being in fashion for heavy metal. Um, that's why I think things like, um, like, like the latest Body Count album is something that really stands out for me because it's, there is a, a very, very direct political note and, and comment to every song on the album but it's still delivered harsh and heavy as everyone in metal kind of wants to, wants to achieve. Mm -hmm. mm. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Because, um, you know, some of the musicians as we're saying that we spoke to um, said that, you know, if they wanted to deliver 
um, you know, a political message, let's say, for example, then they felt that in order to make it compatible with um, the metal genre, particularly like, you know, black metal genre, for instance, then they had to deliver it in an indirect way. So not directly talk about the topic itself, but, you know, use some kind of like metaphor in order okay. to communicate that idea. Yeah. A lot of the bands that do really like go for the throat with the, with the issue will immediately be drawn a lot of negative attention from whichever group it is that finds it. Um, for example, uh, Tolka from Norway, uh, a fantastic band at just absolutely going for whatever comment it is that they want to make. Um, usually like often anti-religion, but he will get specific and he will write a song that quite prominently notes that he is not a fan of the Islamic religion and immediately we came out. It's like, Oh, this guy's a terrible person and he's writing anti-Islam things. And it's like, well, he has a, a, an argument to make about not just that religion, but all religions. And he's kind of going through and, and picking the argument, but that it, for some people was quite detrimental to the band. They've gone, well, okay. He's saying these things about this group. And then they kind of extrapolate that to go, well, he must be racist now because he is speaking against that religion that comes from this area and these countries. Therefore, he's racist against people from those countries. And it's like, well, that's, uh, it's something that will, that will quite quickly be done with not just, not just metal musicians, but if you make harsh critical comments in your lyrics, people will try and extrapolate them and, and find a way to use that against the band. And it's definitely mm. a, a thing that's happened. Um, in the last, I mean, it's hard to say this year, but in the last, you know, five or six years, it's something that's definitely been prevalent. Yeah. I mean, I wonder in that case, though, if it's more kind of to do with, uh, you know, the overarching and kind of enduring issue of uh, the prevalence of racism within metal as well, though, that many sure, people are picking such, up on. Such a huge history of that in black metal as well. So it is really, yeah. it is really easy to draw the line between someone's making these comments about religion and someone has previously made a lot of extremely negative comments mm. about the race and going well this other person and then kind of connecting the triangle yeah. there and going well there it is uh it's it's very easy and i think that might be something that's deterring bands from writing you know from writing content and writing lyrics that really push that idea because they'll quickly be lumped into the same category and go okay you guys are a racist black metal band or you're a you know especially because Again, you know, the majority of metal bands, I mean, in Australia as well, are white men as well. And so mm -hmm. it's extremely quick to be lumped into categories with other white men in heavy metals history that have had, you know, horrible comments to, to say. Um, I, I think for us personally, like we haven't written anything, anything that aligns with our shared political beliefs as a band, um, sometimes for similar reasons, is because we're not just, not just that, but if... I think the, the audience, the audience expects certain things from the genre and oh, it's, it's such a, it's such a tough one to speak about. Mm. Well. It's a tough one to, to consider because we've always, I mean, it, when I was younger, I definitely went, well, I just don't have the knowledge to make any, any comments that I know I'll be able to stick by about my, you know, religious or, or social beliefs or anything like that. When I was younger, I, I, I kind of knew what I didn't know and I knew I didn't know enough to make any useful comments to society about it. But as I grow older, I think, well, maybe I have something valuable to say. There's, there's definitely a, a barrier there to use that within the band. Um, that's, you know, I, I might consider that something I would say more personally than lyrically, 
Because there are bands that, like you mentioned, uh, Body Count, uh, Cattle Decapitation is is extremely political. Um, And there have been bands that have made, uh, in addition to like anti-religion comments, uh, anti-racist comments, etc. in their songs. Uh, So it has been done, but it it does seem to be something that a lot of artists do kind of shy away from. Uh, And I wonder, like, is, is the solution saying less or is the solution saying more or... Is uh, is the like it, this is something that's written about also extensively, like the, mm. the question of, of uh, racism in the metal scene, and and especially for such a genre that's so extremely international. Like besides hip hop, metal might be one of the most internationally in, enjoyed genres. Uh, it's certainly something that people are kind of dealing with. Uh, and I guess um, the question is, do you think there's a way for metal to be supportive of this kind of international uh, idea it has while also making clear messages or does the what we were talking about earlier about the desire to offend the desire to shock uh, make it difficult to say something that's meant to be taken seriously right after uh like if cannibal corpse had a song about uh beating someone to death with a, a hammer and then the next song is is a political song does that create some kind of imbalance which uh is difficult to investigate in the genre there, yeah, that's that's a that's a very very fantastic question. Something we think about a lot. I think for me, it's the people that should be writing extremely political lyrics and things like the latest cattle decapitation album, like every cattle decapitation yeah. album, about how you know humanity is flushing itself down the toilet and could be stopped, except people are choosing not to for the sake of of money and greed. I think the people that have the people that have such strong thoughts that really have a genuine ability to convey that message need to and do. And Travis mm-hmm. Ryan has done an unbelievable job with something that he's obviously believes that he's held so close to himself for, for decades to put that out there. And people are starting to listen. There's uh, that. I feel like that's a very separate skill to writing enjoyable music lyrics. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a whole other thing. And personally, I know I can write lyrics that, that sound, you know, dark and mysterious and, you know, imperceivable terrors and stuff like that. I can do that. But as far as writing a political comment, I don't know that I necessarily have the tools to convey it as effectively as he does. And so I think some people it's putting two totally different skills together Mm -hmm. and packaging it inside the metal band. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that's maybe a lot rarer an ability than it is for bands to write about the typical content mm-hmm. because it is it is pushing a lot more envelopes. There are a lot less bands in in heavy metal and in death metal, for example, that have done that. Uh, I think that might be a little bit of the barrier is that just the skill set of a lot of metal musicians is maybe not as developed in their political and social awareness to be able to use that in their music. Mm. But also there are definite barriers in the audience. There are groups in some countries that will absolutely just write off a band for writing something like that. You know, mm. if, a, if a, a white band wrote a Black Lives Matter song in heavy metal, there was, there are, you know, there are groups and huge pockets of certain audiences in some countries that will absolutely just go, no, we are never listening to this band again because they don't agree with it or they don't like politics in their metal. I mean, some people use metal as, a, as an escape. It's, it's an escape from what is happening all day, every day that you see all over your news feed of what is going on in the world. And sometimes you don't want a band to bring that in, but I guess I would say to those people, well, don't listen to that band on that day. You know, when you need to escape, <laughs> go listen to power metal, go listen to blind guardian and lost horizon and stuff. Like there are, I don't know, there are other products for those moods. 
That's was, mm. Me and Jess have talked about this a bit, and I don't know if you'd agreed on this, um, because it's something that's mentioned in academia uh, that, you know, while, while metal uh, has had that opinion that uh, it's quite recognized to have opinion that that it's not supposed to be political. People, metal fans have, have often said that in interviews, et cetera. Um, metal itself is arguably as a genre incredibly political in pushing against the status quo and the fact that politicians censor it. Like uh, Cannibal Corpse, for instance, was banned in Australia for some time, which is a, a political decision. It's, it's the politicians making that uh, decision. So it is, it is kind of interesting that a, a genre that, um, in America, you have the PMRC, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Uh, a genre that I guess its existence could be a political argument um, maybe avoids political arguments in the lyrics is, is kind of an interesting dichotomy, I think, in a way. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the fact, I mean, I, I totally agree with that comment as well. I think the fact that the, the origins of heavy metal maybe have less of a, less of a, a struggle to rise, like things like kind of punk and hardcore had, where mm. it was its purpose was to explain things that you were pissed off about and to project that onto the audience, the community, I don't know that metal maybe had the roots in the exact same like ideas. And so, although I would agree that it is, it is very political and there's definitely room for bands to use a political voice in their heavy metal. It's, it, it's just been less done. Like it's, it's globally, I would say maybe it's newer than it is for a subgenre of punk where it really should be political. Like if it's, if it's not political, is it punk? I don't know. I would mm. say probably not. Um, it's, it's such a, a key cornerstone of that subgenre. Whereas with metal, I don't think it was a cornerstone, but that doesn't mean it's not, it's not a value that can be, you know, that can be driven with heavy metal music. Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, given that we've, uh, you know, spent some time now talking about, um, you know, what's involved in writing metal lyrics, I thought we could talk a little bit more about how you personally go about writing lyrics. And I know you talked before about, um, you know, how you initially started writing lyrics like way back when, uh, but I was wondering if you could just um, kind of like briefly summarize like your lyric writing process, like as it is now. As it is now. I mean, I, if I focus on kind of like, if I look at each of the three albums that we've put out with Earthrot, the lyrics for each album would have been written start to finish in under a month. Usually maybe I'd say I'd take seven to 10 days to write every lyric that gets recorded on the album. And I don't know that's pretty uncommon. Like a lot of bands will spend, you know, guys will start writing an idea as soon as they've finished recording the last one and just, you know, pen and paper or notepad on the computer, put things down. But I typically will come up with broader concepts that I want to use and maybe sketch out a rough idea for what each song will do in order to give it like a, a chronological feel for a, for a concept album. And then I'll really only sit down and write out the actual phrasing and, 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 the, and the lyrics when we start recording everything else for the final version of the album. Um, I feel like that's probably a, a pretty irregular approach to it, but the first, I think it was just born out of necessity for what the band was doing and the timelines we've set for ourselves. So uh, like I know, for example, like Andrew was saying, he would pick like just a word or a phrase that's just sounded fantastic and go, that this is, this is metal. I've got to use this. I've got to start with this and go from there. Uh, and sometimes I'll try and do the same thing, but I really put myself on the clock on the timeline to do it, uh, which is something I'm trying not to do because you definitely fall into a lot of the same traps and habits between releases. Mm. Um, so you, you don't budget much time for editing? No, I, I really don't. I really don't. And um, the, for example, like there's, there's, reason for that but it's become habit out of necessity so for the first album we released our first ep and our first album within six months so we we're in the studio for both of those releases you know two three months apart 
and there just wasn't time. Like I just had to, we had to cough up an album really quick because we had just decided that's what the band was doing. The following album, um, I had injured my knee and I was on crutches and on a plethora of, of drugs, you know, for pain medication and stuff like that. And I wrote the album when we were in the studio doing everything else, because that was the first time I had maybe a clear enough head to actually write, write anything fairly coherent. Uh, and then when it came to the latest album, I was moving, uh, I was moving from Perth to Melbourne right at the kind of edge of recording. So again, I just had to go, okay, I've got to, got to kind of push all this together and just go and it's got to get done. Uh, and so it wasn't like a deliberate choice, but now it's become habitual. Like I'll focus so much on everything else and go, oh my God, I got to write lyrics for this album and then like squeeze it out. Um, so when you're like, you know, you said you obviously take into consideration what the entire concept of the album is going to be when you're writing lyrics for individual songs. So how then do you decide on like the concept? I'll kind of brainstorm a few ideas over the period of the, you know, a year and a half that you have between release of album, you know, album two and start of recording for album three. Um, usually it's, it's, like the idea is something that I definitely, I, I can't force. It just needs to pop into my head. Either something um, I'll see something or hear something or read something, or for example, have a dream of something that I just go, that's, that's got a bit of something to it. Like that's got some legs. I can write more than one song about that. Does anyone else like this? Like does anyone else in the band identify with this? Cause if I'm writing it just for myself, well, that should be a solo project. It needs to be something that other people get some, get some enjoyment out of or some interest out of. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we'll, we'll send that to the whole band and go, Hey, does anyone, what do you guys think about this? Like uh, some of the other guys in the bands are much more like avid readers. Some people watch, uh, or in, in, you watch a lot more film and TV than I do. And so we all have different like media influence and different artistic, like cultural influence. And so if something that I have, everyone goes, yeah, I think that would, that would kind of sound okay for a heavy metal band. Only then will we go, all right, well, now let's figure out what these 10 songs are going to be about within that and go for it. Mm. It's a kind of communal writing process slightly. Like do they give, do your band members give suggestions that you take on or do they nix the concept and then you come back until everyone likes the concept? Uh, usually, I mean, the, the broader concept is kind of like a yes or no. It's like, do you guys think this will work? And if the answer is no from anyone, we go, okay, well, that, that's probably not going to work then. If, if one of the four of us who are huge fans of the genre don't think it really works, then I highly doubt that any of the audience is going to identify with it or enjoy it as much as, you know, if we can't, then they won't. Um, and so we'll kind of throw that around. But once there's an idea that we've all gone, yeah, like we'll give that a thumbs up, then we'll throw more, more like kind of split it up into, into smaller ideas and throw that to other members and go, do you have any ideas or any thoughts on this? And then pull that together. So there's a lot of input of what the ideas could mean or what like events could happen in this fictional process that we're writing. Uh, but then when it comes to actually writing like word for word, the lyrics that will be printed on the final release, like I'd say maybe 85% of that will come down to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then mm -hmm. I, on the latest album, I think two full songs I, uh, I gave to Colin because he had an idea and I thought, I don't even really know quite how you would explain that idea, but do you? And his, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think I can, he's, he's quite well read. And I'm like, all right, you, you'll come up with some good words, some things that sound nice and feel nice and we'll put that together. And that's kind of how the album came together lyrically for the last one. Again, that helps with the time constraints when you have one person trying to cough up 10 albums that are, you know, unique and interesting under such time constraint, you could very easily, like I was saying, fall into traps of writing things that are either a little bit cliche or I've done before personally, because, uh, you know, you just regurgitate things under time. So the more we can diversify everyone's input, I feel like the better the product will be. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So what's the timeline like then for like developing the concept versus, um, you know, writing the actual lyrics? I was just wondering, you know, if you come up with the concept, like, you know, way earlier in the writing process, but then actually get down to, you know, integrating that into the lyrics at a later point. I'd say maybe, maybe six months to a year, we'll hopefully have an idea for the broad concept. And mm-hmm. then every maybe six to eight weeks, we'll have another idea nailed that will go, okay, this will be one of the songs. I just don't know which one yet. And then that'll be um, usually assigned either if it's chronological, if the album is something that's happening chronologically, I'll wait until we decide musically which song goes in which order and then I'll apply the lyrics. But every now and again, you'll have a song where if you have something that's you know particularly particularly heavy, like some songs that you write just sound like war and I don't mm-hmm. know why, it just sounds like war to me. So the song needs to, the lyrics need to fit that, need to fit the tone that we've set musically first. And they're the only times when I'll really switch that around um, but sitting down and trying to like create the actual, like the actual themes and ideas is definitely something we give ourselves way more time to come up with. Because I think the hardest part of, of writing lyrics for us is, is having a good idea that people are going to identify with and there's going to make the album, um, the album like kind of cohesive and, and interesting. That's definitely the harder part of whereas writing individual lines of lyrics comes a bit more freely. Do you make tweaks at the line level? Like have, have you or has anyone in the band suggested, hey, not this word, change it to this word or that kind of like really, really minute tweaking? Does that happen at all? Or is it, yeah, is def- it- definitely, definitely. Some of it is for things like a, just like phonetical value. When you go to deliver the line, you'll have like a, a certain sound or a certain consonant that just doesn't really, doesn't articulate quite hard enough to, to give emphasis. And you go, okay, this is, th- there are probably 10 different synonyms for this word. Does it have to be that one? Can we change mm-hmm. that? Will it still make sense if we change it? And so that's kind of the circumstance where we'll go and, and do it. And often, you know, you'll, if you'll find yourself, finally, you've got this line that you think is brilliant and then go and deliver it and record it in the studio. And you go, okay, I'm actually like a half a syllable short. Does that make sense? And you need to <laughs> elongate a half a syllable somewhere just to, just to give it a bit more depth or do you change the line completely or just scrap it and throw it out? And so sometimes I'll find that I'll have an entire verse or chorus that I was thinking I was going to use, but it just didn't really, didn't really map right. And then you delete it and then go back and look at the song and go, did I delete a really key part of this song? Does it still make sense? Does it now mm-hmm. deliver the message that the song that we decided it was going to be about? Uh, and that's a, a, a bit of a risk that, <laughs> that kind of happens in, in, the, in the recording process with um, when, you, you know, when you do need to tweak on the fly. But for the most part, I think we kind of syllable map to the um, the rhythmic pattern of the vocals before we go into record. So it's mm. not too often that that happens that we need to do kind of minor tweaks like that, like mm-hmm. on the fly. Can you think of an example where, for instance, a word didn't have enough syllables or had too many, and then you looked up synonyms and there were multiple potential synonyms that worked and you had to choose from one of them. Uh, do you, do you, can you remember an example like that and uh, perhaps the process through which you decided which of the options to go with? I think that might be, that's probably something that I would have done like really early in the, in the process. If it's like, if it's a keyword that's really important, I'll usually stick to that and maybe try and tweak a line. But I don't think I have any specific examples, uh, probably just because it's been seven months in, in lockdown right now. And, and my, my memory of the writing process is kind of dwindling. Um, cause we've been doing so much less of it right now. Uh, I don't think I have any, it's like specific examples of times when I would mm. just tweak a word 
to you know to make it to make it fit um i definitely like overuse certain words and so early on i'll like bring up a list and go this is the word i'm using too much of how can i use anything else but still kind of say the same thing sounds like writing an academic paper oh it's, yeah it's, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it sounds lazy especially like when for example our last album uh, black tides of obscurity there's a lot of like ocean sea drowning kind of metaphors in there but there's only so many times you can say a word like ocean which kind of stands out mm. in like mm. a, in lyrical theme and like things like when bands say darkness you hear it because they say it so many times and there's so many like different ways you can nod to nod towards darkness without flat out saying the word darkness um, and I know Jamie Jaster from Hatebreed puts bans on words for albums he flat out goes I will not say fire I will not use the word fire on the next three albums because I have done it. Oh my God, I have done it. Uh, and I'm definitely reaching a point where I try and do something similar for the next album to avoid, to avoid doing that and like overusing, not just, not just the theme, but just specifically the word. Speaking of bands on words, um, when we look through your record, and this is kind of interesting given the influence of songs like Gilded Cunt that you mentioned earlier, uh, you don't swear at all. Is this conscious? No, it's, it's really strange. I think maybe I have a bit of a, a bit of a thing from the like, uh, like around 2010 period where every band had a t-shirt with a slogan that said something fucking something or mm. whatever. And it was all on the back in giant block print. And it was something, I think that might be like a, a trend of the time is that people were overusing swearing for effect and it lost all effect within lyrics. I think as well, maybe because our lyrics are particularly aggressive we're not really writing the death metal style of things where things are aggressive at someone that we benefit from having any swearing to create emphasis. I don't think that's, I think maybe that's, that's why I try not to swear too much like day to day anyway, but I, I don't think I've ever like consciously gone, ah, oh, let's not put that swear word in there. But I've also never gone, how can we really ramp this word up? If we just drop the F bomb, will that do it? I think I'd maybe go, okay, well, that's, if the word's not intense enough, then there's another word out there that is. And then possibly go, go searching, jump on the internet and go, how, what, what kind of word am I looking for here? And Google around until I find something or speak to someone and go, Do you, what, what is, you know, what is this idea? What is this word I'm looking for? So despite like recognizing swearing as, as a key part of metal and indeed something that I guess you found attractive initially, it's not something you think is, is really necessary to producing a really metal feel in your, in your lyrics? Mm, not at all. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely not necessary. Um, I think the value in it maybe was a, a little bit of the fact that I was a teenager and it was, <laughs> and it was fun. But I guess I'm not writing lyrics personally. I'm not writing them to be fun. Like they, they don't need mm. to be like just fun and enjoyable to scream out because that's not really like the purpose of the, of the, of the album. It's not, we're not writing fun albums that are, that are like, you know, like party albums, you know, party metal bands and pirate metal bands and things like that, that have that everything is about fun and screaming fuck at the top of your lungs is extremely fun. Uh, it's, it's not really the purpose. So I think maybe it just doesn't naturally fall into what we're trying to do. Do you want people to listen to your albums though, to leave the album feeling like they've had fun listening to it? I don't know if fun is necessarily what we're, what we're aiming to, to get out of people. Um, like you, enjoyment without fun. Like, I mean, if you, if, if we've affected them emotionally in any way, then that would be fantastic. 
it doesn't necessarily need to be to be positive it could be you know like one of the the strongest emotions i've got out of any album is uh, a german band Dervergeiner Freiheit have two albums that give complete and utter despair in 45 minutes of black metal and i don't know how else to describe it except it makes you feel despair and mm. they've done that tonally lyrically I, I honestly can't comment because everything's in german but tonally and musically they've given you despair and they've just gone here it is and you listen to it and you out by the time you finish the album you go fuck that yeah I, I feel heavy i feel like i don't know who just died nobody but i feel like someone did someone mm -hmm. important and that's the tone that they've conveyed and so if you can affect someone's emotion positively or negatively i think then you've created something effective in music hmm and like, I suppose that kind of makes me wonder then, like, you know, to what extent are you considering, um, you know, the audiences for your music? You know, when you write lyrics, are you thinking about, um, you know, not only the effect that they're likely to have on the audience, but like, you know, what audience is specifically going to respond to them? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because people always say, well, you know, write, write for yourself and write what you know, but you're not the person buying your records. So you do need to always consider what the audience is. But I think for us as like our, our latest album we released in March this year was our first on a, on a big record label. And it's the first one that we've gone, this is going to reach our audience. I don't entirely know globally what our audience or who our audience is yet. We know pockets of it. We know, we know Australia, you know, we know Japan, we know who's going to listen to our music there. But on a more broader global sense, which is, you know, which is ideal, we're not entirely sure what the audience is. So I feel like the next album will be able to draw from that and kind of refine and go, well, these are the things that people do like that we do. How can we grow upon that and develop upon that? But for this one, it was like, well, we need to write something that is something that is interesting to ourselves and we think interesting to others. And we're kind of taking a bit of a gamble on it because it needs to be interesting to others. Otherwise it, it'll just be, you know, it'll just be torn up and thrown away. But at the same time, we haven't really had the, haven't really had it tested yet, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Which is why for the latest album, we immediately, we sat down and said, we need to take influence from something that we all enjoy that we know others, other people already do. And the idea for that was we're going to go, vaguely Lovecraftian, which is the, the term we use because, you know, Lovecraftian content is huge in heavy metal. It has been done, but it's not currently being worked to shreds in, mm. in like current mm. model, modern metal releases, something we really enjoy. But at the same time, um, we didn't want to just copy and paste and go, we're doing, you know, we're doing this specific creature from Lovecraft. It's more his approach to, the like broader terror and the things that he can't perceive and can't imagine. And that was the, the aspect that we wanted to take. We know for a fact that other people, you know, look at and identify and enjoy his work. So we thought that's, that's going to work. We just need to find out how. So we actually, um, uh, I guess we don't have to ask it because we were going to prepare a question asking you, uh, you know, uh, why you had so many Lovecraftian themes and if that was something you enjoyed. I guess uh, the second part of that question though, that we did want to ask is, are there themes that you would like to explore but you don't think you can within Earthrot sound or style. I don't think there's anything that I would say we can't do in Earthrot. We really don't put too many limits on this is what we can and can't say unless members of the band go, well, either I completely don't agree with that or I'm so unbelievably bored by that idea. I don't like, I don't think it should be there. Mm -hmm. As long as the four of us think it's something that's interesting to us, we feel like it would be interesting to the community around us then I think that there's not really much that would stop us from, from going to say it. Um, we are, I mean, we're fairly critical on ourselves that we want to avoid rehashing things that have been done too much 
globally in metal, but also within the band itself. Do you make any considerations of like what's been done like in the Australian scene specifically, or is it mostly like looking at it at, from an international perspective? We definitely consider the Australian scene a lot. Yeah. We, we spend so much time here and there's so many incredible bands here that we, we, I mean, we draw influence from quite a lot of Australian bands, as you would expect, you know, and we spend time on the road together. Um, there's, there was one thing like, for example, um, Black Helm, fantastic band from Melbourne released an album last year with like not dissimilar artwork to what we had already set and done for Black Tides of Obscurity. Um, theirs was more sky, ours was more ocean, but there was definitely something like you could almost put the albums on top of each other and go, they kind of go together. Uh, but as far as like Australian bands go, I don't think there's really a, there's really too many bands that sit within the same subgenres that we do. So there's a little bit of safety in that. There's, we're not extremely likely to be in the same like expected lyrical realms as some of those other bands. Mm. And is there anything kind of like specific about the Australian scene that makes it different from uh, the scene, you know, as you've experienced in Japan, for instance? Japan's definitely an interesting one. Um, it's their, their um, like broader metal scene in Japan, I think, is much more true to the roots of heavy metal globally. Like they have, all, they, every band that I've played with there has drawn influence from late 80s, early 90s bands, every single one of them in one way or another. Um, whereas a lot of bands say in Australia, you'll get a young band who grew up listening to Fiat is Murder and mm. use that, but maybe not their influences. Whereas I mm. feel like every band in Japan will not just draw influence from the bands, you know, directly previous to them, but also the influencing band before them. Mm. And I feel like you get a lot more classical approaches to lyrics and themes, especially when you're writing in a second language, because they have a broader pool of uh, like reference material that they can use. You can go to so many bands from around the world and go, okay, these are the things that we can grab when they're not particularly fluent. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think maybe as like a, as a first language approach, maybe it's expected more for first language English speaking bands to be more, uh, maybe not, not more expressive, but more experimental with what they try and achieve in, within metal. At least like lyrically, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Just speaking mm -hmm. very Mm, okay, it's interesting. So what about, uh, I guess, in regards to some of the specific choices that, that you've made in, in the way that you're using English, um, I noticed that you avoid the first person I. Uh, on Black Tides of Obscurity, there are only two songs that use I and one accounts for six of the seven uses. Uh, Renascentia has just two. And on Follow the Black Smoke, there's not a single use of I at all. Uh, is this something conscious as well? Do you feel like, do you try to avoid uh, an active doer in your songs? Uh, is that something that you personally don't like exploring as much? Definitely. I, I didn't even think of that, but it's definitely deliberate. It, it is. It is. I think um, when you, uh, like using, using that first person, it either makes it sound more like this is, I, I, I think it applies so much ego to what you're writing lyrically. And a lot of bands, you know, have, I am the destroyer. I will destroy you. I will fuck you up. I will do this. Uh, and it just, it feels a, a, like there's a, a little bit too much ego coming from vocalists in that for my personal taste. And it's like, oh, it, it almost sounds like you as a person are really saying that you're not mm. going to destroy me. You're not, you know, you're not breaking down any walls. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, and just like personally from my, my ability to absorb things from other bands, 
I've, I've heard lines like that and find, found myself rolling my eyes going, oh, there's a lot about you, isn't it? Do you, is it all about you? Are we always talking about you? <laughs> and then maybe I've gone, well, I really, really, really dislike that. Like, that's just something I don't identify with and I don't enjoy lyrically. So I've gone, I'm not going to make it about me ever because um, I, like, I'm already up there delivering it. It's already coming from me. I don't need to tell you it's about me or, you know, or my idea, because that's kind of a given. I don't know. Maybe it feels a little lazy to me. So even when the eye is referencing like a, a character in the story, you still feel it kind of references the singer. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, if you're, if you're delivering the line with emotion, if it's something that you wrote that you care about, it is coming from you. Um, mm. at, at least, you know, in like live concept and I mean, even recorded, it is coming from you. And so I think if you overuse it, it turns it from, you know, like I'm this fictional character and really just like magnet, just like locks it onto the actual vocalist and it goes, it's, it's you. It's now about you. Mm. Uh, well, that's I, interesting. I, yeah. Oh, go on, go on. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just, yeah. It just, it definitely feels like something that I've, I've heard and it's been done and when it's been done and I've, I've, you know, listened to these bands or these records either, you know, first time or multiple times, it's given me like discomfort, but not in the heavy metal way of you're trying to like challenge. I'm just going, oh, I just don't enjoy it. It's just. Mm. Yeah. No, I just find it interesting because this, this does again um, relate to what um, Andy was talking about last week. Um, well, last, <laughs> last week, last um, episode, um, when he kind of talked about the issues regarding kind of the ambiguity um, in how you interpret the I in lyrics, in mm. that it can refer to, uh, you know, the singer themselves, or it can refer to like a persona that they're adopting for the purpose of the song. And I suppose in avoiding I, then I, I guess you also avoid that area of ambiguity then, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's, yeah, it, it can't be about me if I'm not saying it's about me. Therefore, people can interpret it as, a person, a character, an idea, a more generalized comment about people or humanity than specifically me and my experiences. Mm. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it, there's, there was definitely a, a deliberate choice to avoid that. Um, I hadn't, although I definitely had not thought about that for quite some time um, because I, I think maybe I've, I've noticed a lot less of it in the last year or so from, from new and like current metal releases. Again, it might've been one of those things that was, uh, like a, a, just a bit of a trend in in modern metal releases for a period mm. of three or four years. And I thought, well, other bands are doing that. Uh, you know, some will be doing it well. Some will be really overusing that idea. And I just won't, I just won't touch it where possible. Obviously, you know, you need to use a few in from time to time when telling a story, but mm. uh, it's not something I needed to lean on at all to kind of explain, explain my thoughts. What about your choice of references to uh, deities and gods? I've noticed there's a lot of um, uh, references to, I, I didn't look up the origins of all of them. Some of them I didn't recognize. They seemed uh, Mesopotamian. Um, some I love, like I think Lovecraft came up with. Uh, is there a choice of like which, which mythologies you feel are metal or which ones you want to explore? Um, like is the Mesopotamian ones metal in a way that maybe Egyptian or Japanese aren't, or is it just kind of what you're personally familiar with or what you read or where, how, how do you choose which unknowable di deities are the unknowable deities that appear in a particular song? That's a really good question. As soon as you said Mesopotamian, my immediate thought was the t-shirt I'm wearing right now, Melakesh, <laughs> right? Exceptional <laughs> lyrics uh, referencing Mesopotamia. That's what the whole band is. And, and it's what they do well. And I know on the, 
uh, on our Renaissance album tour, we were touring with Malakesh. So I think that's probably a deliberate influence from spending time with them, listening mm. to their records and just absorbing it. And, and it would have just crept in. I probably wouldn't have deliberately chosen, um, but it would have been something that just happened. You know, you, you absorb a lot of influence from those around you. And when you spend three to four weeks sleeping in the, in a little coffin next to the guy from that other band, you, you, you start to pick up on a little bit of their ideas and, you know, musically, and I guess lyrically as well. Um, I think as far as the focus on like which, which gods and which gods that we would focus on and usually the more, the more vicious and violent and cruel ones, I think mm -hmm. would, would come up. And as far as which civilization, um, there's, I don't think we could really write about any of the Asian civilizations choices of gods. Um, I couldn't personally do that just through pure lack of knowledge. Mm. Um, and then maybe the Egyptian ones, I think, are just so well known. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if I did use some um, just from, from, you know, like media, just stuff that I consume, like Stargate from the early 2000s. I love <laughs> and have binge watched a hundred times. And the whole premise was that the gods were, you know, posing as the Egyptian gods. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that crept in just subconsciously because it's something that's sitting on my mind or, you know, in the back of my mind for a period of a couple of months while I'm watching a, a TV show for the third time. Um, but as far as the, yeah, like choosing deliberately, um, I, I don't think we've ever gone, we've got to pick this civilization of gods because that keeps it cohesive. It's been which one tells the story. And I guess, yeah, I think we would fall upon the ones that we either know most about or fit with just the theme of the song most. You definitely want some sort of background knowledge or research or awareness. Like you want to know, uh, like if somebody were to ask you about that God, you'd want to make sure that you could answer some questions kind of level. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. Or at very least we need to be certain that we're not misusing anything. Or <laughs> mm. One thing you don't want to do is be like, yeah, that's the God of these two horrible things, but also roads and be like, okay, they created roads in that civilization. I didn't know that. Is that still, does this still work then? Mm. Is this a different metaphor that I'm not quite <laughs> correctly? Um, you need to, yeah, definitely have some amount of, of, of you know, like a, a slightly above general knowledge, I think. But um, I think as far as like referencing individual gods, I can't think of too many circumstances in which I would write specifically about one or another. Maybe more demons, I think, we would mm. lean towards than gods. Hmm. I mean... They seem a bit more metal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do, they do. But I guess also the the comments are, are less on um, less on creation and more on destruction with mm. within our lyrics. Hmm. It's an interesting kind of iteration of violence that's specific to violence that like committed by some kind of you know deity or in the case of uh, what you just said, demons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, rather than the, like the murder violence that you were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. And I think often the like, I mean, if we are making a, a slightly political statement, like, I mean, Renaissantia definitely has some subtext to it um, that perhaps a, a, a deity or a demon there is a metaphor for a particular group of actual people on the planet. Um, as, and it's just, it's, it's, a lot, uh, it's a lot simpler and cleaner to use a metaphor for it than for us to directly target a group. And I mean, circling back to what you were saying before, Wes, about um, whether there would be barriers in me um, personally, like speaking about something. Um, I think looking back, especially on Renaissantia, I think uh, I would have, I would have definitely found that 
and then chosen to use things like deities to kind of like slightly mask the, mm. like the deliberate or this kind of direction of the lyrics more to Im- Im- infer or imply than deliberately say these are the people that I think are doing a, a lot of damage to to people and to the planet well it was still as well as you have that kind of um that meaning that you said was important to making you want to sing the song again and again yeah yeah definitely yeah renaissentia I, I will often um speak about as a really interesting one because for a period of six plus months afterwards I had absolutely no idea what the album was about because when we recorded it and when I like record, wrote and recorded the lyrics, I was still on crutches and quite heavily sedated. <laughs> I, I, I had absolutely zero memory of what the album was about for some time, except for a few sentences that I'd written down um, with Renaissantia being rebirth. Uh, and it was kind of end to end, like the earth being torn down and built and rebuilt, but why and by who? Um, I didn't really know what I was trying to say with that. And I think it like, as time goes on, I kind of understand a little more what my point was. <laughs> that's why sometimes when you bring up a certain thing, I'm like, Oh, that's surprising. I did write that. Didn't I? Um, just specifically with that one album, there's a lot of memory gaps that I have in the process. Yeah. We found when uh, looking through some of your lyrics that there seems to be an interesting balance of straightforward terminology and uh, more difficult words throughout, you know, all of the lyrics um, that we've observed across these you know, three albums. So um, yeah, for instance, the first track of your last album has the lyrics uh, under salted waves, the graying sky, demand a service in wrath uh, by the mountains, um, high temples rustling and the markings of claws pointing uh, to fires above, which involve fairly well-known terms. Um, and even the band name itself is reasonably straightforward. I think we'd agree. Um, in contrast though, obviously we've just talked about uh, Renaissance, um, where their song titles um, like unparalleled gateways to higher obliteration uh, and stairs of sempaternity. And, um, you know, we can also see words you've used like uh, hypnagogic hallucination uh, with a couple of these words being uh, ones that we had to look up. <laughs> so hypnogenity and um, yeah, uh, hypnagogic as well. Um, yeah, being, I would say reasonably unfamiliar to the average person, at least, yeah, I hope so, considering I wasn't familiar with them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when you said hypnagogic, I went, oh, I don't remember that one. I, that's definitely not a lyric that I wrote. That's one that Colin, our guitarist, wrote. I remember okay. because when I was trying to coordinate the, the like hand-eye coordination with playing the song singing the song, knowing what it's about to be able to deliver the right energy for it. I got there and I just froze when we were first rehearsing it. I, mean, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying here. I don't know what this is. Uh, and that definitely put a, put a bit of a block in there. So like how conscious are you of this, like, you know, this balance between, um, you know, words that are a little bit more, you know, inaccessible and those that are, you know, reasonably well known. Uh, I think as far as like using words that are less, less well known, but maybe either, Either, either more accurate for the point that we're trying to make or maybe just a little more specific than like a, a broader term is partly for me, because like I was saying, I, it do fall into the same traps of using the same words. And so you need to look for words that you don't use frequently, but not just that words that have like pleasing, pleasing like consonant to vowel balances and <laughs> fraternity has a, a, a really pleasing balance to use like, like tonally. Like the, the hard P's and T's, it kind of, I don't know, it rolls off the tongue really nicely. And that's definitely oddly something that we consider quite a lot is how a word sounds before what it actually means. 
Um, and I know uh, Andrew said something similar as well. Like sometimes he'll find a word or a phrase and go, I'm using this. Like this just sounds too good. And we definitely will do that on occasion as well. We'll use a, a phrase and, and kind of map a, a section to, to like to go around that word. But also I guess a little bit of it is a challenge of just trying to better yourself. I need to, you need to use better words and, and learn, <laughs> learn more things. And it's a, just like a general life challenge that kind of leaks itself into lyrics as well. Do you feel uh, difficult words or esoteric terms are really key to metal language practices? I think, yeah, like, yeah, definitely within some subgenres, I think they set the, the, the tone and like using like esoteric terms as well, we're definitely uh, probably a little more common in, in black tides than for and maybe uh, follow the black smoke, I think. Um, I think as far as like using that in metal, that's, that's definitely something that I would expect to find maybe more common. Is there a, um, is there a balance that you've struggled with ever? Because I imagine if it's, if, if it's too straightforward, I imagine that would be bad, but if it's too esoteric, like if every word is, is a three, four syllable word that you looked up in a thesaurus, that I might come off as like pretentious or try hard. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. There's been times where I've looked at a word or I've looked up a word and gone, I'm going to use this. And it's like, do I need to, do I need to use that word? Because mm -hmm. it does come across a little, a little bit pretentious. Um, and so there's absolutely a balance of trying to find words that are like, that are interesting and not, you know, not so repeated within your own workings or within metal in general. Um, there's definitely bands that you, you see, and you, if you go through their lyrics, you're like, wow, you have like, you have absolutely used a thesaurus for every single word here. <laughs> um, and I remember this one, it's just like one scene from the TV show Friends where Joey gets a thesaurus and signs his name as baby kangaroo instead of Joey, just because he put every single word in the, in the oh, okay. piece he was writing into a thesaurus. Uh, and I swear that I've, I've seen bands that their lyrics look like they've done that. That's absolutely something we would try uh, to avoid. But I think as well, the balance between us and between our band members, because I want the other guys to get the same like emotional feeling that I get out of the songs when I need to deliver it into the microphone. I want the other guys to have that as well. Um, and some of the other guys I know for a fact are much more well-read than I am. They, they like read far more, far more complex things than I would. And so there's definitely like influence and balance between that. Um, we wouldn't want everything to be like entirely simple because I feel like we'd all get bored of that. And the, if we're getting bored of it, then the audience definitely is. Um, but if it is, if it's too like deliberately complex, it's going to come across super pretentious. And I think again, like the, the quality of words we're using needs to match the musical tone as well. And if we're using a lot of really pretentious tone, like a pretentious, like just unnecessarily, um, unnecessarily advanced words for things, kind of lends itself more to prog mm. than it does to death metal okay. and black metal. I think maybe because musically it's almost, you know, unnecessarily technical at some points. So they would kind of blend together better than, you know, some meat and potatoes death metal riffs would. What about the opposite? When, if the lyrics were too simple, uh, like say you never used, uh, um, instead of Renaissancia, you just called the album Rebirth or, Instead of uh, sempaternity, I believe I believe that's like it, a philosophical take on eternity or something like that. Like if you just use yeah. eternity, um, and maybe even under salted waves, like um, below uh, salty, 
water. Like it, yeah. if you went, if you went the other direction, would that also create kind of an impact that you feel doesn't fit what your music? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think because our music, um, it, it, it's definitely a, a key component to matching what the music is and the instrumentation and the, you know, the samples and the vibes and the layering of the actual music, it needs to be reflected in the same level of like word choice in the lyrics as well. It does. So I think if we were doing something like really standard, if it was just one guitar, one bass, guitar, single, uh, you know, drum, single vocals, meat and potatoes, death metal, we would probably choose much more simple, hmm. simple wordings because the impact would match the tone of the, of the, instrumentation better well speaking of like matching um and we talked politics already but i think i'm going to get into an even more controversial area here sure. um is there room for humor in metal because <laughs> you and i talked briefly uh on on messenger when we were preparing this interview about uh you know you said you kind of had to have fun with it and you like joking around and while you don't like have jokes you do have a song called frostitute which is a pun <laughs> um <laughs> And like your, your music is very moody and, and dark and Lovecraftian. Uh, but again, there is a pun and you've personally said that you enjoy humor. Is there a place for humor in metal or does the presence of humor make a song not metal? Is, is, it, is it possible to work humor in, into earth rot? There, there is absolutely a time and place for it. I think overusing humor, you'll fall like just lumped into, you know, the party metal bands and the pirate metal bands. Um, but they thrive and have successful careers based on humor. So mm -hmm. there's definitely absolutely a case for that. As far as for us, um, death metal, I feel like kind of needs to have a bit of a sense of humor about itself. Like Cannibal Corpse aren't really out there killing people. Um, dying Fetus aren't really out there aborting babies left and right. They're not really doing it. You know, you have to have a bit of a sense of humor about what it is. Although the actual content isn't funny, you have to have a sense of humor about that and black metal the same as well like having like you know grim and frostbitten forests when we live you know as when we were living in perth western australia <laughs> the, the best weather on the planet like the sun's out we're at the beach you know having a couple of beers and having a barbecue with the friends um and then you write something you know super grim and dark as if it was you know as if we're in a forest in germany you've got to have a sense of humor about that but as far as deliberately utilizing humor I don't know that we do that too much lyrically as much as we would rely on like musical video to do that. I think mm -hmm. lyrically it's the kind of thing. I, th I think we take lead from uh, bands like the Black Dahlia Murder where they are a ton of fun. The videos are fun on stage. Mm -hmm. They're fun. They're cracking jokes on stage and having the best time, but the actual songs themselves are still serious and content. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's kind of the direction we take it from. Mm. They have pun titles too, though, interestingly. Yeah, that was, um, I, what was that? Statutory uh, Ape, right? Yes, yeah, Statutory yeah. Ape. Yeah, that was uh, 2006 or seven or something. Long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But as far as like the majority of their career goes, it's been more serious than it is, uh, you know, loaded, loaded with puns. And I think that's the same for us as well. Like the, you know, Frostitute was the, our first mm -hmm. album in 2014. I think I would have been, you know, 22, 23 when I wrote it, you know, at university and barely sober and, probably thought i was a lot funnier than i was <laughs> uh, well, like the because because research on black metal especially has noted that um you said black metal has to have a sense of humor to it but black metal is well known for having no sense of humor um arguments over uh what is cult uh what is true black metal with a v 
Um, you know, we, me and Jess, actually, we were sharing a lot of articles uh, back and forth for some time just on, on the amount of research that had been saying that black metal is the unfunny, you know, metal genre. I guess, do you disagree with this? Do you think there's kind of a meta humor to the whole thing? I, I think um, I was saying more specifically for Australian bands to be into black metal, you <laughs> mm. have to have a sense of humor about it. Mm. Uh, honestly, it, it definitely, there are way too many examples of black metal bands and fans like black metal fans in Thailand stabbing other band members from local black metal bands for not being true black metal, like Satanists or something, um, which to us is just, it's tragic, but that's hilarious because <laughs> like, I mean, for example, like when we were on tour with uh, Gorgoroth and Melakesh in 2017, um, super serious, uh, you know, corpse paint and blood and giant spikes and, you know, you know, only red light on stage and fog. It's very serious, very satanic, the real deal. But when they're sitting there putting corpse paint on, they're listening to sleazy 80s pop tunes. Like gay nightclub bangers from the 80s is what we'll be listening to together. So as people, it's still, they're a ton of fun. They have a great sense of humor about it. But when they're on stage, it's like, it becomes the mood. It becomes the performance. Um, I wonder if a lot of fans know that, you know, their idols in black metal are actually very fun loving guys that listen to, you know, 80, 90s pop and trance and stuff on the bus once they finish the show. Um, I feel like maybe a lot yeah. of the fan base don't have the sense of humor that the actual bands do. Part of it, I think, is how the band maybe shows themselves. Like I, I've, I saw um, I can't remember the name, but a documentary on metal, and I, I don't remember exactly who. Uh, I don't want to like call out anybody, but in, in the interview, they came off as very like met this black metal is serious. There's nothing funny about this. I am I am motivated by the devil. Like, this is all a thing. Uh, and then you have other videos like um, Abbott did the one where they like crab walk on the mountain. And I don't know that that's a joke, but it felt like it was a joke. Like, it felt like it was, it was you know, a bit of a piss take. Um, and I suppose the Aussie scene, do you think in general, Australian metal bands have a bit more of a, a kind of sarcastic or, or piss-taking Abs attitude? Absolutely, yeah. Australian bands, I think, I mean, just Australian culture is is typically, you know, laid back and, and friendly. And I think as far as the metal bands go, it definitely does have that. Like most Australian metal bands that are at some level will be, you know, will, will be fun and having fun with it. And that's, mm. I, I, I find it difficult to, uh, to understand the bands that take things and themselves far too seriously. Um, because it, like, I find objectively heavy metal to be funny, to be <laughs> being, you know, obs sorry, obscene and obtuse in lyrics and things like that is funny uh, to me anyway. And I think people that take it extremely seriously, maybe they are even missing part of the point of it. Hmm. Sometimes. But yeah, yeah, there's definitely, there's, there are black metal bands that I've seen and played with and worked with that are like dead serious. When there is on, when it's show day, it is, it's a ritual. It is legitimate, but it is a, a ritual, you know, to the devil and whatever. And then there are other bands that will get up there and play songs written about Satan, but they'll be doing high kicks and wearing sunnies on stage under lights and like, you know, kind of go against what the, uh, what the imagery suggests they should be acting like. Mm. I think mm. almost, I, almost I would say I found like a 50-50 split. So like, for example, Wattain, when they're on stage, it is, it's a ritual. Like their clothes, they take back and after each tour, they bury it in the dirt on the land owned by the bass player in South America. So when they're not playing shows, like right now, I dare say their stage uniforms are buried in the dirt. 
They're very serious about it. Um, and then, yeah, like, for example, Abath is just this, like, just absolute character and he's a ton of fun and, you know, he's running around just absolutely falling down hills at festivals and things like that and having the best time. Uh, and, and, but then, yet, they fall into the same subgenre of, of black metal. Mm. Mm. I assume then, like, you'd maybe say that, like, one would be more successful in the Australian scene than the other then, based on what you're saying? I think they both bring they both bring value within black metal. It's just if the scene is self-aware enough to know that some people are going to have a hell of a lot of fun with it mm. and they'll accept that. And there'll be some that go, no, I can't listen. I can't go watch a bath. Like it's a joke. I'm not going to be into it. And then there'll be other people that'll be like, Oh my God, we're tamed. The goat's blood again, you know, pig's blood on stage. Like they're still doing that. That's a bit cringe. Uh, and black metal fans will, you know, there'll be people that kind of are on one side or the other, and there'll be a ton of them in the middle that enjoy the music from both. Do you think a black metal band could ever work in like just a straightforward clear as day joke or pun into their lyrics without alienating uh, their fan base or, or destroying their careers? I feel like some can, but it would be, it would be a very specific amount. Like the, the bands that have been doing it since the nineties that can kind of get away with doing whatever they've been doing. Uh, for example, a bath, I feel like he could, he could flat out drop a joke in a song and it would mm. go. Okay because they have the videos of like immortal call of the winter moon with them wearing witches hats and capes on top of mountains and things like that. Um, I feel like he can get away with putting jokes, even though it's legitimate black metal from the nineties. Mm. Uh, whereas a lot of other bands, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come across quite so well. I guess you need the personality to back it up. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I guess that, yeah, there's just so much more intertwined with whether it, whether it pays off than uh, just whether people can like, accept it. Mm -hmm. in the industry or like in that in that particular scene yeah you, you need to have the the personality and the the presence as well for people to accept it mm. so if i can uh, kind of just bring it back to lyrical choices again um i was just wondering so i did a kind of a brief comparison uh between the lyrics um from earthrot's you know, three most recent albums and those of Harlot. And I found that although um, Earthrot songs are on average about a minute longer than Harlot songs, um, which you'd probably expect, um, you generally produce f fewer words um, per minute of each song as, you know, compared to Harlot. So it's about, it's about, um, a, you're producing about half the number of words sure. per minute than um, Andrew's um producing so i imagine this difference is related to just relative beat choices and snare placement sure. um in your songs uh in comparison to kind of the more frenetic uh syncopated style of thrash uh, but i wondered what kind of considerations you have to make in trying to write lyrics for a song with a slower beat or where the instruments kind of have more time and space to breathe uh, you know rather than just acting as more of a vehicle for the lyrics sure yeah definitely i think um for me I was always a guitarist and bass player first. So it, I would always write music first and then lyrics around that and leave, try and leave space for space for lyrics. Um, there's also a bit because for us, and I'm, I think for Andrew as well, uh, playing the instrument and doing lead vocals at the same time, there's always coordination factors. So it might be easier when he's playing faster riffs to match the rhythm he's playing with his right hand with the lyrics he's doing with his mouth. Uh, whereas I'm playing bass and I kind of have a lot more opportunity <laughs> to kind of shift, um, you know, shift the the placement and, and elongate and things that might not work as well when you probably have, you know, working up a bit of a bigger sweat like Andrew would on stage than I would. Yeah, I was just, just wondering, like, you know, um, I suppose if you consider, um, you know, 
um, when you lay out the song and stuff, like, you know, where the lyrics are going to go and, um, you know, how much, you know, you want to pad a song with, you know, lyrics versus, like, you know, leaving more space in between for just instrumental sections. We, uh, you'll, you'll find that the songs that are written by the non-vocalists in the band will have much less space for vocalists. And so they might be kind of like, lyrics will be kind of way more jammed in because there has le less repetitions of what would feel like a verse or a chorus to my ears. They might go, this is riff A. And I go, no, no, that's chorus. Uh, and the purpose of it is quite different. So, well, they might do two to four repetitions of something. I'd be like, no, can we do eight or 16? So I can pop like a big chorus that, you know, has like, a, you know, like a big passage of lyrics in. Um, so between band members, even there's, there's definitely a lot of consideration on where lyrics go and how much lyrics there are. Um, I also do, I, I'm definitely a proponent of writing less and repeating it. And so mm -hmm. I think I do a thing where I'll, I'll have a verse that's almost identical and change a word or two words in a line between first verse and third verse uh, to kind of tweak the meaning or just so it delivers a little differently. Um, and a lot of that, that's influenced from uh, like the early Job for a Cowboy releases. There's one song where it's, I think, a single verse worth of lyrics, like a single paragraph, but it's the entire four and a half, five minute song. Mm. And I could never quite catch which line and which section started on the first line, which one started with the second line, which bits were repeated. And sometimes it just felt like over two verses and a chorus, it was one paragraph of lyrics just repeated, but I could never, it never felt the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was just something that I found interesting. And I, I just realized that I didn't need to write and memorize three pages of lyrics for a longer fast song when I could do less and maybe repeat them and tweak them slightly to give it a, a change of meaning. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you, you know, say that you, um, you know, repeat components of the lyrics and stuff, because obviously I did notice that as well, but I, I found it interesting though, that despite this repetition, there's not a lot of rhyming. Mm. And is that something that you're conscious of? I think uh, like rhyming in, in music is, is very traditional in a lot of subgenres but not so necessary in death metal and black metal. I don't think it's, it's really key. Whereas in, in rap and hip hop and soul and R and B, it really helps. It kind of delivers the hook. Whereas I don't think we really particularly need that. Um, I think maybe just like as personally, not like a huge poetry fan or anything like that. I never <laughs> develop a lot of the, the skills or the observations of, of writing things like that. Um, it would be more about uh, like, I think the major focus for me would be matching rhythmic patterns to lyrics and mm -hmm. often trying to find a word that's, you know, the right number of syllables, but not just that, that ends on the correct either consonant or vowel or something like that. And often the difference between ending a word with an O or an E um, will change how it sounds. And I will lean more into making it sound the way I want it to sound before having like lyrical structure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was wondering, like, if, um, you know, perhaps, is there anything that you, I suppose, don't enjoy about rhyming that you'd rather kind of just not bother engaging with in your own lyrics? So, like, for example, with the, the use of I um, that mm. I quite deliberately avoid, as far as rhyming, I don't think I'm as opposed to it. I don't think I hear it and go, oh, that's rhyming. That's, that's not very heavy metal. Um, I just think personally, it's not a, a, focus, a, a focal mm -hmm. point for me. I don't hear rhyming bits and go, Oh, brilliant. I like that they're, you know, repeating this kind of, this mm. kind of sound or these, these, um, these thoughts in, in rhyme. I don't, I, I guess they just don't impact me positively or negatively. I'm quite neutral on that. 
Um, so if other people are using them, I'm, I'm not going to be turned off by use of rhyme in their metal lyrics, but I'm also not going to actively seek it out to um, create my own. Mm. Did you seek it out uh, a little bit on uh, Out in the Cold? Yeah, I was going to ask about that one. <laughs> that's a very, yeah, a very different song. I would say that's mm. an outlier um, for, for us and for mm. our songwriting style. Um, probably, I think because that's uh, like a sturdy Southern crossroads blues kind of song as opposed mm. to specifically a heavy metal track. I think maybe that needed more structure and rhyming to tell the story and to have it sound as though it were maybe from that period a little more or to actually convey the idea of this as a blues track. It needed to kind of tick off some of the rules that a, a blues song should have. Mm. Yeah. I was wondering as well, like, you know, to what extent is, um, I suppose, like the, your like vocal style having an influence on how you write lyrics as well? Like, cause I was thinking about how, um, you know, with Harlot's lyrics, for instance, like quite often you can, you know, reasonably easily discern exactly what Andy's saying um, because of the, you know, vocal style that's common to thrash metal. Whereas, you know, with the growling that's more common to like death metal and I suppose even like the screaming that's more common in black metal, it's a little bit more difficult to, you know, do that um, interpreting. So I was wondering if, you know, that influences, um, you know, your desire to just kind of not worry about rhyming so much. Yeah, I think the the rhyming is maybe um, yeah maybe more about the the sound that I'm doing, but I think with with like very little um, areas where I'm not using much pitch, um, I think it's it's maybe it maybe is less important there to have rhyming sections where there's um, vocal techniques without pitch because it's more of a almost more of a percussive instrument. It's uh, mm. um, if I'm not matching a tone to anything, then I, I would consider it percussive, in which case those are the areas where it's really all about matching the, the right catchy, the, the rhythm that I want. Um, but in areas where you do have, yeah, tonal vocals, I think maybe rhyme is a lot more valuable there. Mm -hmm. Like power metal and things like that, they use it quite effectively because they are, <laughs> they're actually singing as opposed right, to yeah. making kind of dirty goblin gremlin noises. Yeah. You're mentioning a lot about, oh, sorry, I kind of jumped in there. I just had like a, a really like minor thought. So like one of the techniques that we, that, that I do kind of like goblin-y, I think we call them like swamp vocals sometimes, or we call them tazzy devils um, for just because it's like a, a throaty voicey thing that vaguely, <laughs> um, vaguely sounds like Tasmanian devil, the Looney Tunes character. Um, and uh because that like the the creature that the vocal style is like vaguely mimicking is reasonably unintelligible to have something as neat and identifiable as like clean rhyming articulate words wouldn't really match that that sound that I'm producing mm -hmm. it like it's not there to sound specifically like human speech or human singing whereas mm -hmm. I think you know things like thrash metal and, and power metal where it's it's singing and it's it's quite articulate and much more human, it benefits more from having rhyming than, you know, dirty goblin beastie noises <laughs> in death metal or something like that. You're attributing a lot of this to kind of sound and rhythm and syllables, which is obviously very important. Like if the, if the rhythm doesn't match the rhythm of the music, you, it's, it's a, uh, creates a disconnect. But I'm wondering, uh, does that, like if somebody came up to you after a show and said, you know, I like how your lyrics are really rhythmical and how you pronounce them. I don't care about what you're saying, but I like that they're, you know, they fit the rhythm. Would that 
kind of upset you? Would, you? would you want people not only to appreciate how they match the sound, but do you want people to like read into them and enjoy them? And I guess, have you had people come up to you and say like, hey, I, I like the way you use these words and these lyrics after a show or anything like that? It's not something that I think I've ever received a comment on in a show. And I think, uh, I, I think I, I'm not particularly like unintelligible with my delivery on stage, like not quite to the level of articulation that Andrew has, mm. but I think as far as like death metal goes, I feel like maybe you can hear lyrics a little better from my voice than from mm. a lot of others. Hmm. Um, and it's definitely not been something that's ever come up. And maybe that wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't offend me if someone went, I have no idea what you said. I'd be like, well, that's fine. Um, but I think if, if that's quite common, if, if I'm getting that a lot, if people are going, well, I have no idea what the lyrics are, I'm probably going to be less worried about conveying a really, really important message mm -hmm. because mm. if you can't understand, if you can't be understood what I'm saying anyway, then it's really there for the diehard fans. It's for the people that want to know that want to mm. go and find out what it's about. Um, but as far as like, I think like a broader metal audience, if, if say, you know, 75% of our audience just hear the sounds and not the lyrics, uh, I'm quite happy for them to enjoy it and go, oh, that's fine. You know, that's cool. Or like I heard a cool couple of lines that I really understood. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, the vocal style that we're doing, I think that's just part of it with, with like death metal style vocals. Mm. Just you need to accept that most people won't understand and they'll go and seek it out if they, if they really, really want to. So the um, rhythm and the percussive elements are for everyone, but the actual specific language choices you're making and the stories you're telling, those are for the diehard fans. kind. Yeah, of. yeah, definitely. Which is why when uh, we pass our lyric ideas around the band and we go, look, if we don't all enjoy it, then our immediate fans won't. Is because the people that I think are going to read our lyrics are the like more inner group of diehard fans and not the broader group of, of like metal listeners that might still enjoy our music. So I think maybe I'm writing for a more specific lyrics, lyrics I'm writing for a more specific group of our fans than the entire thing. I think they're like a smaller subsection of our overall fans as a band. Mm. I, think, I think as well, I would say quite specifically that's because of the vocal style that I do and mm. the, the sound of this band. Like if I were playing in a rock band, I would it would be very, very different the way I would approach it. Mm -hmm. because I would expect the lyrics to be deliverable to the entire um, like population of, of that subgenre of music, as opposed to the death metal stuff that I really think that the lyrics are there for the people that are absolute diehards. Mm. Is that then like, you know, extra incentive to include like a more meaningful message or um, to incorporate, you know, these esoteric terms and, you know, um, I suppose like build up these like layers of meaning in the lyrics for fans that want to kind of like dig into it and, you know, find out um, all of the kind of meaning layers behind what you're singing about. I think so. I think so. I think um, it definitely, it doesn't like devalue uh, what types of messages I would put into it. I think I'm just less expecting of people to, to like completely latch onto the idea, but I, I think it would make it even more, even more meaningful to me if someone did come to me and say, Hey, I actually went and I opened up the lyric booklet and I read this and I really enjoyed this because I'm less expecting of it, but it's definitely not going to stop me from trying to write. If I've got something really important that I think I should say that I will try to, you know, to weave into the music or, um, 
or it's not like I would go, okay, well, you know, I know I write these lyrics under like a really specific time constraint, but I don't feel like I'm putting any less energy into it. Mm. I don't feel like I would just because I don't expect as many people to pay as much attention to that aspect of the band. So you definitely don't want them to be disappointed when they read, read your lyrics. Oh, very much, very much so. I think if the lyrics were disappointing, well, like, mm-hmm. like really phoned in or, or, or generic, I would just, I, I mean, I would be disappointed before anyone else if I felt like that's mm. what was approaching. Um, and I feel like, you know, you won't develop diehard fans without, without good quality lyrics. I think if the, if the lyrics, I mean, for our subgenre, if they are, just like plain and feel phoned in then like I don't, I don't mean to you know i'm just gonna say it the new six feet under record that's absolutely atrocious i feel like you're gonna lose your diehard fans there because you know the even if even if the riffs or something else is sacrificed your lyrical content there is just atrocious and so you couldn't get away with lyrics that are uh, sorry i apologize if i just interrupted you in there but like that hit the the perfect rhythm and the perfect consonants. But then ultimately when you look at the lyric books, it's like, Ooh, it's dark and spooky out in the ocean. I'm scared of the ocean. There are big scary things. Oh no. Uh, the end that, that wouldn't work. Uh, probably not. (laughs) Again, like we were saying, like, I think there's still so much of our audience that we're still like only beginning to reach. And I would, I would hope that people will, that, that will go in and read our lyrics will get to that and go, well, hopefully there's a little more than just this guy, you know, doesn't want to be out on a boat in a storm. Um, uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I'd hope for. And if we did simplify them, I think it would, it would definitely suffer. But I think maybe as a, it's, it's just, it's also so much personal challenge to write. Like we challenge ourselves musically, we challenge ourselves lyrically. Um, and I hope that it would challenge someone, at least in their, you know, in their interpretation of, of what the lyrics mean to them personally, if they're not necessarily absorbing the same, the same thought or story that we were conveying when we wrote it down. Mm. And challenge us, we had to look up some of the terms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. I'm sure we had to look them up first. So <laughs> you all learn together. <laughs> I guess before we uh, wrap things up, is there anything that you have coming up that you'd like us to promote? Do you have a new album on the way or anything? That we can... Oh, I wish. I wish. Our, our latest album is only seven months old at the moment. So uh, Black Tides of Obscurity came out March 6th by Season of Miss Records. You can find it Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp. Buy it, listen to it. There should be lyrics available with uh, all the Bandcamp <laughs> downloads as well. So go and get it. Have a listen to what's going on inside mine and Colin's minds and <laughs> see if it matches yours. Yeah. And tell us what you think. I think that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. We definitely, uh, me and Jess have been listening to it a lot in preparation. We've uh, really enjoyed it. Mm. It's not just, not just, uh, you know, <laughs> not just, uh, yeah. Making sure you allow us to promote this interview. Uh, but yeah, it's been really good. Uh, there's some really, really creative stuff that you're doing. I mentioned the bridge on that one song, uh, kind of Came threw me. Yeah. 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 Threw me for a complete loop. I really enjoyed that. It sounded like you kind of having a little, like it wasn't a joke, but like it sounded like something you're kind of having a little fun with, a little bit of playfulness in the in the middle of the uh, the black metal. Definitely, and I think out in the cold as well does the same mm-hmm. thing. It's it's definitely a bit of fun and playfulness, but it uh, it's still part of the story. And uh, yeah, I kind of hope people get the the whole story when they listen to that album or when they go through end to end, as opposed to you know n- now knowing that it's not just like individual individual songs, individual stories. It is a big a big broad arc and 
hopefully people can enjoy and appreciate that end to end. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon. I like that there's all these layers and stuff, even in like, you know, both musically and lyrically. So yeah, it was really interesting when I was listening through it and stuff, I was like, oh, this isn't actually all that like straightforward. Like not only is there like, you know, the clear overlap of like death and black metal, but I, I mean, there was even like some songs like Death Rebirth. And I'm like, this is a thrash beat. Like, how is this like, <laughs> yeah, it was just interesting. I'm curious now to go back and kind of compare what I do over the thrash beat with what Andrew does over his. Yeah, well, yeah. I think you've, uh, yeah, these two interviews even just so far have like given us a lot to think about, I think. Mm, brilliant. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having, yeah. uh, having me on for a chat. No problem. Thanks for your time. Yeah, and, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. thanks. See ya. Yeah.